0: three years of Profit With Law podcast, the very best of episode 304. Are you ready to make your law firm a profit generating machine that will free up your time and skyrocket your impact? With more than two decades of business growth experience and having proven that you can be successful while prioritizing your family and your impact, Introducing the Profit With Law Podcast. I am your host, the creator of the Firm Differentiator 10x Effect, Moshe Amsell. Well, hello and welcome to the Profit With Law Podcast. I'm your host, Moshe Amsell, And I'm super, super excited because this is the episode where we're celebrating three years of putting out the most amazing content for you here on the Profit With Law podcast. And it has been quite a journey. Uh, Running a podcast is quite the commitment. A lot of effort, a lot of energy, a lot of resources expended to bring this to you. And hopefully, uh, for those of you listening to it, uh, you've been with us for a while. If this is your first episode, you're in for a treat. Uh, But hopefully... This content has been impactful to you, has been helpful to you, and has been something that you've been able to use as a tool for your success in your law firm growth. Uh, you know, three years ago, when I decided to launch this podcast, uh, I had no idea whether it would be well received, whether it would be something that people were interested in listening to, uh, whether it would be helpful to the community. And the reality is, is that at the same time that we're celebrating this three year anniversary, we're closing in or have closed in. I'm not sure by the time this gets released on 100,000 downloads of our podcast, which means that there have been 100,000 listens of any, you know, all of our episodes that are out there. And that is mind boggling uh, to think that. Um, In a very tight industry, very tight niche, that we've been able to um, effectively provide this valuable content to so many people, so many sets of ears listening to it. And uh, it just humbles me uh, to think about that traction, that growth. And we couldn't have done it without you. Without you, the listener, being engaged and listening and leaving us readings and reviews and sharing it with your friends, uh, you know, we, there's no way that we would ever got have gotten this traction, that we would ever have this number of downloads. And it's not about the vanity metrics. It's not about being able to say, oh my gosh, we got 100,000 downloads or oh my gosh, we've been doing this for three years. It's all about you. It's all about the growth. It's all about the amazing guests we have on this show. It's all about the amazing content that we bring. And there's no better way to cap the excitement of having completed three years of this podcast journey than to provide you with a treat. But before I do that, I'm also going to tell you that we have something really exciting that we're unveiling here at Profit With Law. And that is... I've basically been working with attorneys over the last few years in helping them with their law firm growth journey, helping them not just focus on the growth, but focus on the profitability. And I think it's really important because, uh, you know, people mistakenly refer to me as a marketer, you know, somebody who helps law firms market. And that's not true. I don't help you with a marketing strategy at all. Uh, I mean, I have ideas I can help guide you in that department but my focus is not on bringing in new clients my focus is on figuring out how to make your law firm efficient how to make it so that when you charge a client money there's actually money left over from there that you get to keep as the firm owner that you get to bring home feed your family actually live your dreams and um, that happens with the various coaching programs that we run and what I've done is, is I basically have taken the coaching that I do for my clients and I've boiled it down into a framework. Um, I've developed a formula that you can use to accelerate the growth of your law firm to be taking the right steps at the right time. And if you want to know what that formula is, if you want to learn how to implement that formula in your law firm, I have made that super accessible to you. Uh, I've basically turned it into a four part video training that is available for only $97. Uh, you can get more information about that at thelawfirmgrowthformula.com, the law the law growth formula, dot com and that'll be that link will be in the show notes. Uh you'll hear more of, of a promotion around that in future episodes. But this is we're at the same time that we're releasing this episode, we're also releasing this law firm growth formula. So if you want to get access to it, go to the law growth formula dot com and click the button and take a plunge. Ninety seven bucks is all it costs you to access it. And um Join us for this endeavor of really trying to change as many law firms as possible uh, from, uh, you know, uh, um, uh, labor of love to labor of love with profit. And that's really what it is, is let's let's make you profitable. So here's the deal with this episode. Uh, My team has reached out to our audience. They've looked at the analytics and they have compiled what they have identified as the most popular episodes of our three-year journey here on Profit With Law. Then they went through those most popular episodes, and they identified the most impactful components of those episodes, and we have prepared a, a bunch of sound bites for you uh, from these episodes where you can get the best of the best uh, content That We have provided over the last three years and that's going to be the rest of this episode now for your convenience in the show notes. We have links to all of the full length episodes uh, that we highlight here. So if you missed it uh, and you hear a soundbite, you're like, wow, I need to hear the rest of that. uh, You can simply click the link and be taken directly to that other episode or you can find it in your podcast player. Folks, it's been an honor being here, doing this, serving you. And I am excited for what's to come because we're just on the beginning of this journey. Three years is a tiny little blip on the overall bigger picture timeframe that this is going to be going on. And we are not going anywhere. We love doing the podcast for you. And we're going to continue to bring you amazing people, uh, amazing conversations and help you in your law firm growth. So here we go.
1: You've got to be a lifetime learner. You've got to be open. And then you've got to be disciplined. This isn't easy and it isn't quick. And it isn't, it isn't, it takes consistency, right? Discipline. So what do we do? We build systems around that. A planning system. Planning system that does three things. What are the current things that are holding you back, that are dragging you down, that you need to get off your plate? We call that our past-based activities. What's in front of you right now that you need to complete to move you forward? That's our present-based activities. Then we go to our planning, which, okay, what's ahead of us that we're planning into our future? That's our future-based activities. And we have a color-coded careful calendaring system that we've created based on this planning system. It says, listen, do the planning at your, at your way, but the infrastructure doesn't change. The content doesn't change. All that changes is the time that what you do it. And so again, systems, processes, ways to address this, but it's not gonna happen in a day. People join all the time, how come I'm not a millionaire? Well, you've been a member 32 days now. Uh, give us a little time, right? So it's not instant. It takes discipline and constant willingness to be open to continue to learning things. And, and that's what you're doing on, on your podcast, right, Moshe? Is that you're, you're really saying to people, Look, we're bringing different people on, get different perspectives. How do, you have a, how do you get a law firm that's measurably improving and increasing? It's a mindset together with systems and processes. You know, one of the other things most of the, the, the systems and processes have done in my law practice, most law practices, I, I think most people have ever, if you ever heard the story three to one, right, you should bill three times as much as you earn and all that stuff. Well, there's a lot of truth to that. So in traditional law firms, we have found that there's usually three or four attorneys per paraprofessional. In our law firm model, we've gone to three or four paraprofessionals per attorney. Now, why? Because paraprofessionals make you money mm-hmm. way more than you do. To bring on a lawyer is way more complicated, uh, lots of other issues. Paraprofessionals really, so systematizing breaks down the funding, the drafting, the, the, the probate and trust administration, all the other legal things you do. And what we have done is where most lawyers are looking for a three to one, our lawyers are bit, typically billing. Or generating five to six times their salary five to six not three because we delegate so much to paraprofessionals. but you can't do that if you don't have a system and process to make sure everything's being done timely and properly if you're the lawyer drafting your own documents that's why you're getting your you're getting your lunch eaten because you shouldn't be drafting documents you can yep. get literally a 15 dollar an hour person that's good with typing and really good and high fact finder follow through really efficient to do those documents, then you can do them for lower fees. You know what, or keep your same fee but delegate down the work to not a lawyer. Why would a lawyer who should be making $250 an hour be doing typing? And that's what so many lawyers do, right? They don't know how to delegate. They don't know because they don't have systems. They don't have that structure where they can be confident in delegating it that it's going to get done correctly. So I think, I think we're all on the same page here that, that really, again, it's easy to talk about, right? People listening, no matter where they are in their practice, they're probably thinking, well, that's all great in estate planning. Well, you know, one of our biggest new membership is people transitioning from other areas of law. We call them burnt out litigators, right? They've had enough. Well, how can we do this thing called the state planning? Well, you can Because there's systems, processes, structure, training, teaching. And then within three to six months, you have a very viable, uh, robust. And then by one year to two years, you have robust practices. Um, and, And it's all about anchoring two things. Discipline, time. Time's going by anyway. There's no button you push and everything starts happening. It's by being open, understanding to learn new things. That's the hardest thing. Lawyers don't like to change. They've always done it this way, right? You said a magic word to me. Magic word, you said model, model. So I, I can only speak to my model, but it of purpose. We're treating people estate planning, right? There's three different paths you can go, right? The brain surgeon model is the first one, right? Where it's, hey, you know what? When, when O.J. Simpson got arrested for murdering Nicole, they say, hey, where's a good lawyer? i can get a good deal. No, no, he said, my life is on the line. I want the best. And he got dream right. team, right? So people that have high need, high pressure, they're gonna pay a big price that's a different practice model. What you do there is sole lawyer, low cost staff, you're doing most of the work and you're getting paid for it, right? Now, the, the other extreme is commodity model, right? Commodity is get them in, get them out, quick, fast, easy, technology. Okay, those models, a lot of paraprofessionals, a lot of non-paraprofessionals doing the work to take the load off, great. Then in the middle, we have this thing called an experienced practitioner model, which says, listen, People are willing to pay more, but not a lot more for people that are really have a a nice way of doing things. So this is process and things of that nature. So this middle models, and each one of these models have different marketing strategies, have different staffing strategies, and different pricing models. The word, your magical word, model. What business model are you? So in ours, we have three different business models you could do. You could do the solo with one to two staff, the solo with five to seven staff, or you can do multiple attorney with multiple staff. And we show you the multiplier for each model and you get to pick which one you want, but the models are, are scaled. They scale and it's, it's understanding it's business. It's not emotion. So many lawyers deal with emotion. Oh, I don't have enough business. I got too much business. No, you don't have business because you didn't market. That's why you don't have business, right? And if you don't have, if you did market, you got a lot of people coming in, but you're not getting hired, then you're not selling properly, right? And if right. you get hired, but you're not getting paid, then you're not getting the work done, right? So these are all systems of process right? Relationship management system, client enrollment system, um, estate planning creation system, right? And then the the relationship, the the follow-up system. We have a maintenance program for our clients where they, in addition to hiring us for the things, they they pay us an annual fee to become part of our law firm community, where they get access to us without paying all year round. So these are things about community. This is the future, building community where people know they are not going to get nickel and dimed. Where people can feel, and that you can't do that if you don't have processes and structures to keep the cost down on those things. Absolutely, all, models, it all comes down to the word: what's your business model?
2: A couple of things to keep in mind, you know, when you're uh, discuss, maybe discussing or or thinking about flat fee basis. Um, one, most importantly, know your target clients. Um, you know, with a value based pricing, you know, something that could be helpful for you and your firm is maybe go back from some of your former clients or or review some old cases and just determine where that flat fee could have been helpful. Could that have worked with this client, right? And just run a a few scenarios through your head uh, and say, could this have worked and and would I have seen a better profit margin um, from that previous client? Um, Secondly, maybe test out uh, a capped fee structure, right? So you can test out a couple um, capped fee for maybe estate planning or, or divorce here, you know, here's a basic divorce. This is what it's gonna get you and this is how much it's gonna cost. Or here's a basic DUI um, uh, case and this is how much it's gonna cost. And then maybe just, you know, first and initially just restrict it to any uh, productized services. So most flat fee devotees recommend that you only use it on products or pre-packaged services. So again, it goes back to the core of just anything that makes sense packaging or, or turning into a flat fee. And then at, at, at that time, you can kind of modify your flat fee model as you need. So again, this is gonna take some trial and error, but you will eventually find your sweet spot. And once you find your sweet spot, uh, your margins uh, won't thank you enough.
0: You can work really hard to bring in new clients and work really hard to bring in new leads. If you can't serve those clients with a decreased Uh, decreasing expenses as opposed to increasing expenses that has an effect on the profitability. And one of the beautiful things that I like, probably one of the most beneficial things that I could think of going to a flat fee model other than peace of mind for the client is that you are no longer in conflict with your client when it comes to the work you're doing for them. When you're billing hourly, there is an inherent conflict with what you're doing with between your what you what what you want as a lawyer and what your client wants as a client as a lawyer you want to bill out as much time as possible as a client you want to pay for as little time as possible so lawyers are so careful about doing conflict checks at the beginning of an engagement yet the inherent business model that we operate in billing by the hour is in itself the biggest conflict of all and that's where i think that Once you get, you start to figure out how to package your services in a way that you're not billing by the hour, that opens up an entire new world of possibility as to who does the work. Because you're no longer trying to do the work yourself so that you could bill as much of your time as possible. You're now trying to figure out how do I do as little of the work as possible as the owner of the firm and pass as much of the work as possible to other people? Now, people will argue and say, hey, they're hiring me as an attorney. Yeah, but nobody expects the attorney to be doing all the research, to be doing the gathering of the information, to be, you know, they they expect your staff, your paralegals, your assistants are going to get that stuff done. Up until now, you might have kept that stuff to yourself because it increases how much you can bill. But now you can pass that to a a lower level staff member uh, and nobody needs to know which staff member is working on it or, or what's their allocation of time. Uh, and what that does is, is it opens up a whole new world of possibility of how little can you spend to work a
2: client through to the completion of their legal matter. They did a survey with, with uh, a couple thousand attorneys and, and they asked them, what, was the, what do they think uh, was the key to retaining clients and winning new businesses? And attorneys answered communication. They did the same exact survey to consumers that have used a law firm within the past year. And their answer was, was nowhere near communication. It was actually autonomy. They wanted a sense of autonomy, right? And and what does that, what does that mean? Or or what's an example of that? Um, That could be, again, make your clients feel like they have control over their financial situation. Flat fee pricing makes them feel like they have control, Right. Multiple payment options make them feel like they have control, um, offering or, or excuse me, um, allowing your clients to have, um, or identify the easy ways they can pay, such as ensuring that, you know, the multiple payment options are on every invoice you send out in the mail or via email, or, uh, you have in your, uh, office, you have QR codes that just allows them to scan, uh and, and follow up and see, Hey, look, I have three or four payment options if I want to use this attorney. So I just think it's kind of funny Moshe, that, you know, almost all it was in the 90 percentile. Uh, and I'll find the article and send it to you so you can link it to this podcast. But again, they said the key to, to, um, to winning or retaining new business was communication. However, your, your clients think, think the opposite, um, uh, communication was not in that whatsoever. It was purely autonomy. They want to feel like they're, they're in a bit of control when they're picking or retaining their, their attorney. So let's go to Nicole's question.
0: Nicole's question is, do you have any tips for marketing
2: strategies for a
0: solo practicing different areas of law? For example, do you have separate strategies, websites, social media accounts, DBA names? Uh, for example, traffic, criminal defense, business contract law and personal injury. Uh, so it sounds like Nicole is, uh, is being a Swiss army knife of law and she wants to know what do I do for my marketing because I've got all these different areas to market about or market to.
3: I don't disagree with uh, with with Mark's assessment in terms of the mechanics of of what it was at Nicole. What Nicole was uh, you uh, asking? Um, yeah, you only want one website. You only want one social media identity. I guess I would take some issue, or maybe. Uh, want to explore a little further why you want to do all of that in the first place. You know, a, uh, a practice that has multiple practice areas means that you're going to have to diversify yourself or your staff. And, And usually in the beginning, when you said you were a solo, you, there's not enough of you to go around to become an expert on, you know, six or seven different practice areas. And, you know, I think you'd be better off kind of focusing on one and then maybe adding those additional practice areas later down the road when you have a successful enough practice that can justify bringing somebody else on board or bringing some additional support that would address those needs. You know, because one, one of the challenges for um, developing a marketing plan for different practice areas is frequently there's they represent different reasons as to why people go through an attorney. So if you're, if you're being client centered from the beginning in your marketing, you have to, you have to ask yourself, well, what are the circumstances that would lead um, uh, an individual to want to see an attorney? Because the marketing is different. And I can tell you, you know, from my own personal experience, how that's so, you know, if you are a family law attorney or a personal injury attorney, um, a criminal defense attorney, most often, uh, something something bad has happened to the client, the potential client. They've uh, been served with divorce papers, they had a car accident, um, they were arrested. And so your job to attract those clients is for them, when they ask the question, I need an attorney to help me with this, who do I know? You want them to think of you, you wanna to be top of mind. So your approach to marketing in that sense is is is, is uh, top of mind and, and, and awareness oriented. On the other hand, if you're doing something like uh, business uh, law, business formation law, or my practice area, estate planning, th- th- sometimes there's an event that spurs the client to to, to go in that direction. But most often, it's just one of really educating the client to know why they need an attorney in the first place or why this issue is important. So what I found was like when I switched from a litigation practice where I wanted to be primarily top of mind to a uh, estate planning practice where I really wanted, uh, I needed to educate the, the potential client, it was a complete paradigm shift. So I went from doing a lot of advertising to doing a lot of education. And so I, I would urge you, Nicole, to kind of refine your, you know, target area. It's a lot easier to hit the target if you're aiming in one small area than to hit a bunch of multiple targets if you're aiming in you know seven or eight different you know different practice areas.
0: Yeah. Awesome advice, Neil. Um, I, and, and I just want to chime in. I, I was on the same exact page as, as Neil as far as, you know, wh- why the heck would you want to do all these things? As a matter of fact, I want to turn you to a podcast episode that I did on Profit with Law, and that's episode 29 Why Choosing a Niche Will Skyrocket Your Firm. Uh, and I really think that you should listen to that episode because I go through. The things that it's going to do for you. It's not just the overwhelm and the inability to really be a master of all. Um, It's also very, very strategic to bring clients to you. Uh, When you become known as the go-to person for something specific, uh, then... That is going to, that's gonna generate referrals, that's gonna generate leads to you, that's gonna make you known for that. You can always add, as, as Neil has said, you can always add more later. Where do you think law firm owners go wrong the most when it comes to achieving success in their business?
4: Wow, where do they go wrong? So I can definitely tell you that a lot of the ones that I know personally and a lot of friends that I have that are lawyers, they don't spend enough time, energy, and money on advertising their business. And a lot of times lawyers get so busy and caught up with their day-to-day work that they are more focused in the business versus on the business. So a lot of lawyers need to take a step back, it's really hard when you have so much work to do, look at the big picture like you said, and analyze how can I make my business grow? Is it advertising, whatever it may be. So there's another great book, I'll have to think of the name, that talks a lot about, I think it's uh, the e-myth, um, Michael Gerber, possibly. And it's, another thing is processes and procedures. So I know that I mentioned this in the book, I probably mentioned, you know quoted that book also, but there's, there's a guy I know, his name is Brent Sibley, and probably one of the more successful attorneys that I know, and how he was able to grow was by creating what he called his Bible, which was his procedure book. Every single thing he did in a law firm, he wrote down and procedurized it. He created standard operating procedures. So it gave him the ability to take a step back from the law firm. He could take a vacation, work would still be getting done. He can hire people quickly and they can just read this procedure book and figure out how to do things. So procedurize your business, take a step back and spend more with marketing and advertising your law firm. So I have a friend that I was helping out, you know, grow his law firm uh, for fun. And uh, one of the things I kept telling him to focus on is sales. Hey, you're generating a lot of leads. Great job. You're doing the marketing piece, right? You're doing Google ads. You're bringing leads to your website. They're signing up. They're filling out this questionnaire form. They want to know more information how you can help them, but you're not closing them. You're not, they're not signing the contract. They're not paying you to deposit retainer. So I told him, you really need to focus on sales. And I recommended him someone that I think very highly of that can really help him in sales. And the guy quoted him $5,000. And he said, no way I'm paying $5,000. And I said, it's nothing. If you close five clients, you're making it back. And this guy will easily help you close five clients and, and much more. And his conversion, rate, I think at the time was, let's just say 10% of leads that came in. And I personally heard him on the phone and it was horrendous because he was talking like a lawyer, not like a human being. You know, using very big terms and, and jargon and I said, you know, an average consumer will have no idea what you're talking about. You're too confusing. So bring a sales guru in. He'll double your conversion rate, and the five thousand dollars you'll cover in a month.
0: You can easily, between state taxes, income taxes, and the uh, the 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 excess uh, income on on passive income tax, uh, you can easily be paying well over fifty percent on money that you're making, which really slows down the wealth creation that you're that you're working on creating. So. I think that once you you really are are bringing home a significant am- amount of money from the law firm, the first place to go is to make sure that you're doing your darndest to uh, be as smart as possible when it comes to your your tax positioning, and that also can help drive your investments. There are certain investments that are going to be pr- tax protectors for you. Um, you know, real estate can do that if done right. Uh, so you need to look at when you look at your investments, you need to look at tax along with it so it's kind of like you know you really start to need to get educated in um in this world because if you think about it it's it's your biggest expense more than any other expense in your business is your tax i think real estate investing is like the the best a lot of people are leery of the stock market you know they they hear about oh yeah the market's booming but they also hear about oh my gosh the market crashed real estate just feels like a, a safer place to put your money where you don't have that kind of volatility but at the same time, depending on how much hands on you want to have, uh, you know, you can you, you can go and buy some some, you know, one to four uh, unit uh, single family homes um, and rent them out. Or you can park your money with it with a company that's investing in in massive, you know, apartment buildings or commercial properties. Um, so what's your what's your experience been there? Have you gotten involved in any of those? And, and where do you think somebody might want
4: to start when they're first getting their feet wet?
0: All right. So I could talk
4: about this topic for hours because uh, I've been heavily into this for the last few years. So just as a quick note on stocks, a lot of people will warn you against the risk of stocks and tell you it's dangerous. I lost money. My family lost money. I know someone who lost their life savings. All you have to do is ask two very simple questions. Number one, the person that lost money, did they invest in an individual stock? They chose their own companies like Apple, Microsoft, Google, whatever it was. Or did they invested in an ETF with hundreds of companies, for example, the S&P 500, where you buy one stock or an ETF, but you're really diversified. You own a portion of 500 companies. So if one of the 500 goes bankrupt, you don't lose really anything. So that's the first question. Second question, when the market tanked, which we saw in 2000, 2007, and 2020, did they panic and sell? And what you'll realize if you go back in time is if you were diversified in an ETF, let's say in 08 or 2020 and the market crashed and you just held on for a year or in this case for like four months, you would have done great. You wouldn't have lost anything. You probably would have even made money. But then you say how six key numbers
0: can make a six figure difference in your law firm. I would love to know what are those six key numbers?
5: We feel like if the captain of the boat gives you those six key numbers that you will know enough about your business to be able to make a good decision. So the first one and I think everybody is aware of this one. First one is cash and it's your cash flow forecast. How much cash are you going to have at the end of the week for the next 6 to 8 weeks. And you want to look out, you want to look forward because you know if you are trying to run payroll and you don't have enough money and it's six hours beforehand, there's not a lot you can do. Six days, you can do a little bit more. Six weeks, if you know there's going to be a cash crunch with payroll six weeks out, you have all kinds of options. So the first one is is cash. The second one we look at is, is we start looking at your production. You want to know your work in progress. How much WIP do you have? And the reason we look at WIP is because this month's WIP is going to get billed out on the first of next month and becomes next month's revenue. And there's nothing better than that moment in the month where you look at your whip, and you should be looking at your WIP report once a week. When you look at your WIP report and you're like, I have more money in WIP than my monthly nut, you know, those expenses that it takes to keep your firm running. And from that point on, you know, that all the work that gets done is money that's going straight in your pocket. So the third one, um, we, th- we thought we need to look at marketing and sales. And what is that one number there? And it's sales calls. You know, how many sales calls are booked? Because most attorneys can tell you, all right, so if I go in, my conversion rate is blank. I guarantee you your conversion rate's not 100%. I know all kinds of guys like to say, oh, yeah. The conversion rate is hundred percent. It's not, but okay, whatever. So um, by looking at your sales calls that are booked, you can figure out how many clients you're going to have next month and next month's clients are the month afters revenue. So all of this is about predicting our revenue. Um, The last forward looking number is we thought we need something around case management and, and your people. And so We settled on net new cases and net new cases is the number of people that hired you minus the number of people whose cases you finished. So it's how many, like, have you increased your open cases or not? And the reason we like this one so much is because it starts to inform how much staff you need and when you're going to need them. So if you know that an attorney can handle 40 cases at any given time, and your net new cases is 10 per month, you've got four months until you're going to need another attorney. And so it tells you, and it's predictive, and it's looking out, and it's giving these four numbers that we've talked about, give attorneys the ability to see a decision coming and be prepared for it and and think about it. Now, there are two that help you get back on track. So the first one is budget versus actual, and I know I can, I can hear you all rolling your eyes right now about budgeting, but it's the budget versus actual report, and it helps you know if you're on track, but, you know, what's that goal? And I think about like NASA, and they shoot a rocket off to the moon, and they don't just put the coordinates in and never check to see if it's on track. They're constantly checking and recalibrating. And that's what your budget versus actual does for you. And then the last number is, I think, probably the most important number. And that is your owner compensation. What percentage of revenue are you getting as as owner comp? Are you being fairly compensated for the work you're doing, but also the risk you're taking as the owner of the law firm? Because you take a lot of risk, right? So... Those are the six numbers that we really look at.
0: The way to build a business is to have staff is to have other people doing the work for you. And kudos to all the solos who decide to stay solo. But the reality is, is you're not an entrepreneur. You're, you're really not a business owner. You're, you just are paying yourself a paycheck that somebody else could easily pay you. If you work for them, you just don't want to have a boss. So you're your own boss in a job. And when you start to recognize that the key to growing a true business is to have staff doing work for you, that's when you can start to look at everything that you're doing and say, "Okay, what are the seats I need to fill so that I could be the most productive person that I can be and that 's why I love what you 're doing with get Staffed up and the fact that you have ten associates working for you and you know and have grown your firm to where where you have it uh, is that you know it's not about being a lawyer. It's about building a business where you can serve your clients in the best way possible. And there's no way that you could be the best person at your bookkeeping and accounting, the best person at reception and you know, answering your phone, the best person at making sales, the best person at managing the client relationship. Uh, there's no way you can wear all those hats and be best at all of them. There are people who will do each of those jobs better than you. So why not have them work for you? and have the most amazing experience for your
6: clients, mm-hmm. and you just back and enjoy and reap the benefits. You have to hire someone and realize that if you, if you do it the right way, that person's going to make you money. So here's the example. It's the summer of 2014. I finally hired an in-house law clerk, a law student, but I made her do my assistant for everything, right? She was, she was doing now all the phone answering, et cetera. And I doubled my law firm revenue the next month. And I'm like the very first month I had her and I thought, how did that work? How stupid am I? I mean, it's just math. If you build 10 hours a week and then you build 20, that's twice as much revenue. Of course, you're going to double. It's it just, it's, it's such a simple concept, but it's hard for people to pull the trigger and grow because they don't trust the data. They don't know their numbers, especially, and they just can't see how hiring someone is going to make them more money. They look at it as an expense. And people have such a hard time getting over that that I, I just just emphasize all the time because when you see someone get it and the light bulb goes off and then they invest in themselves, it's a great feeling. Doesn't, doesn't really make a difference in my life, but it's such a great feeling when somebody just does it and they grow and they give someone else a job that wants the job and will be better at them and they themselves get better. There are thousands of lawyers right now that are so stressed out because we talked about you know being a true solo you know how stressful it is to go spend three hours in court and come back and go like oh i don't want to open i mean look we have email on our phones now but or just to get out of the courtroom where the judge can't see and you look at your email and a client's asking for something another client's disappointed and then you have like an email of a new client so which one do i answer you know how unbelievably frustrating and stressful you can never get out of that like you said you can't even take a vacation without losing referrals and business oh man the stress that i used to have on vacations i was trying to enjoy my family holy cow so here's the deal nobody nobody teaches us this but here's the easiest way to do this moshe spend one week write down how you spend your time we got to log our billable time right write down everything you do i answer the phone I went to the bathroom. I'm serious. Just write down everything. Highlight all the crap that you hate doing that, that, and don't, I don't want people to do this. Like I say, well, highlight all the stuff you can give away to someone and people like, oh, I can't give that away. I can't give that away. It's such nonsense. You can give away 99% of just, yes, you can just highlight the things you don't want to do or the things that annoy you or the things that don't make you money. Do that for a week. That's your job description. You're going to have, I go back to the email management. If you call us today, and that sounds like I'm selling something, right? Call us today. Um, If if we were able to get you, and we can, of course, an an administrative assistant for $18.50 a month just to do your email and your calendar, you will have so much more time. I would argue 25 hours per week to work on whatever systems you want, to bill more. You will pay for that person tenfold. You know, what are we talking about? Five hours a month of more billable time. They're going to save you 25 a week. You have to get a personal assistant to do all those admin tasks early. That's going to put more time on your plate to start developing. Well, let me Google how to make a real job description for my next hire. Let me do five more hours of legal work this week for an extra $1,500, right? I, it, it, that's what you do, Moshe. You write down how you spend your time and then you chronicle it. You batch it up. Mostly it's gonna be your email, your messages, your calendar, your phone answering stuff. You give it away and you will, you will feel so liberated with the amount of work that you just got off your plate.
7: One of the things that makes good lawyers, particularly good contingency fee lawyers, is a lack of fear. Um, y- you have to be fearless in this. So if you're, if you're facing a scenario where your resources are limited, but you believe in yourself, Uh, then I am uh, 100% for fearlessly moving forward and fearlessly focusing on what you know you can be good at. In order to do what any of us do for a living, you have to have that ego within you that says, I am good enough to do this. I can stand in front of a jury and convince this jury that I am right and the other side is wrong. If you want to do medical malpractice work, you're going to cross-examine the defendant doctor himself who's the only person uh, or herself, who's the only person who's, who actually saw this patient. You're going to be cross-examining Harvard-educated, Yale-educated, uh, Columbia-trained doctors and nurses who are going to come in and say, you are wrong, and you need to have the perseverance to stand up and say, no, I'm right, and let me tell you why I'm right, and let me show this jury why I'm right. Mm-hmm. That degree of perseverance, that degree of fearlessness and ego is, goes into everything we do. So for that person who's saying, you know, I want to do a particular type of law, I want to do a particular type of case, um, but, I'm, but I'm worried, believe in yourself. And if you do believe in yourself, ultimately you will succeed. So saying that there's no right answer, it, it becomes very important to focus on specialization in today's world. Um, most people, are not going to have the resources available to them to compete with the large advertising entities, the large social media um, groups that are pushing out content daily, uh, multiple times a day. There are companies today that are literally lead generating all day long and all they do is push out content, push out content, push out content, and then sell you uh, the leads. Um, And they're not selling you everything that's wonderful. They're selling you, you know, 99.9% cases that you're not, or leads that you're not going to do anything with. Um, They're sending stinky
8: fish.
7: (laughs) They're sending worse than stinky fish. Uh, They're sending dead fish. Um, (laughs) So, you you know, it's gonna be hard to compete in that environment if you don't have the resources to be pushing out this content every day and to have content writers and, and programmers and, you know, anything and everything that goes into doing these things. Um, You know, hedge fund money is behind a a lot of efforts to generate cases. Um, The only way that a small uh, firm can survive in that environment, if if you want to play in that environment, is to be so focused on a particular area that you are the best at that area. And so that those large gatherers of cases, those large lead generators, are going to want to be in business with you because that's where the money's going to be because you are the best
0: opinion you have to be able to control your own destiny you, you have to be able to turn the faucet on and off you can't just hope that the referrals are going to come in at the right time uh, so referrals are important and they're a, a decent you know potentially a decent piece of your business but they 're not predictable and if you want to you want to grow a firm you have to be able to grow it predictably which is why we have to look at these other things um, and you know, people do all kinds of things—a billboard and TV spots—and you know—and sometimes they, we 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 get way too fancy in that process. And I love that your answer was Google AdWords. You know, like uh, I'm assuming you meant the the Google Paper Click. You know, people are searching, and then your ad shows up, and and you know, and they click it, and and now they're they're checking out your firm or they're calling your firm. Um, and you know, and I don't want to go into the the details of the marketing. I think that we have much more important things to focus on in this, in this interview. But uh, I just want to highlight that to our listeners that it's, it's pretty simple. Um, Mike's Mike's firm is looking for people who are looking for them. And the best way to start is to go to the place, the, the number one place that people go to look for information, which is Google. Uh, and, you know, a lot of people are not willing to pay for that because the, the, the cost is so, is so high sometimes, depending on the industry, where, you know, you might end up paying three, $400 a lead. But if you're talking about a case that's going to generate 10 15 $20, $100,000 for your firm... Why are you being cheap on $300 a lead? You got to be able to front that money and get those leads through the door to make that happen. Let's talk about these Google reviews. Uh, you know, just taking a, a sharp left turn here in our conversation. But at the beginning of the episode uh, of this interview, you shared with us that you were able to get over a thousand Google reviews. Can you? Um, first of all, share with us what, what the value is in Google reviews specifically, um, how does this compare to Avo and, and those types of, of sites? Um, or when you say Google reviews, you're referring to all review sites. Um, and, and what's the secret to getting that quantity of reviews, um, you know, at, uh, out there.
9: Yeah. So let me start off with the story. Uh, it was about three years ago. Um, at, at this time, I think I had like three reviews. And then I get an email saying I got a one-star review. And I was so like frustrated. I'm like, what, where did this come from? I looked into the name. I couldn't recognize the name. It wasn't one of my clients. It wasn't even actually one of my prospects. Um, To this day, I still don't know who it was, but I'm like, what, what should I do? And the best answer was just go get reviews. So I started asking for reviews. Um, And then at the time I was also learning about how to get links, how to ask people for links. And there was a strategy that Neil Patel actually put out about what's the right way to get people to uh, give you links basically. And the strategy that he shared was to ask for permission um, for, for you to uh, ask them to do something. So instead of asking them straight up, Hey, can you do this for me? And just expecting people to do it, get them to say yes first. And then once they say yes, then they're micro committed to uh, continuing with that action to, for for them to do the bigger action. So I could actually, I'm gonna, for people who are watching the video right now, I'm about to pull out my um, Mix Max uh, sequences and I'll explain exactly what um, Mix Max is in a little bit. Um, Here's the actual script that I use. Uh, Feel free to use this to anybody who's listening. This is the exact uh, script that I I use. Um, And so far I did, it was a thousand reviews just literally just a month ago. I'm at 1,104 reviews just in a month. This works. This really. This is like I'm sharing the secret sauce with you guys. It really works. Go implement it. Um, and 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 also I don't see any lawyers using the strategy, uh, but I'll share with your audience, Moshe. So here it is. Here's the Astro script. And um, pull it out. So um, you say their first name. You you customize it. Now this is,
0: this is when you're, you've completed your engagement, correct?
9: Yes. Right. As soon as I've completed the engagement or when they're the happiest. So sometimes okay. I may even, I may even ask in the middle of the service, uh, this, So I'm, I'm not afraid to ask if they say, Hey, no, I'd rather wait till everything's over. I'm like, okay, no problem. But it does also work for people who are not even finished with the service as well. Um, so here's the actual script. Uh, feel free to copy it. Uh, first name. I'd like to ask you for a favor. Would you please mind taking a few moments to write a review for me? Your comments will help others know what to expect for the uh, when they're looking for the service I offer. And now here's the call to action and the million dollar (laughs) line for me. May I please send you a link to leave a review if that's okay with you? Question mark. So it's very subtle. It's instead of me giving them the link to say, Hey, can you leave me a review? Here's the link. Don't do that. That's what most, what most people do. Just get them to say, yes, I don't mind. I'll leave you a review. And once they say yes, all you do is just send them a link and say, thank you so much. Here's the link. Um, and then there's another line that I put in there that I think works pretty well. Um, here it is. It basically says, uh, here's the link. Um, I really appreciate you doing this. I'll be sure to return the favor when you need the assistance in the future. So again, it puts it back on them. Hey, if you do this, you know, then, you know, I'll be- I owe, you, to- I owe you one. I owe you one. <laughs> gotcha. So this works, use the strategy. Um that's what, the script I think is one part of it. The second part of why it works is I have I use a tool called MixMax which is a plugin that's inside of Gmail that let, that lets you create templates and sequences inside of Gmail. What templates are 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 pretty much saved uh, saved text. Things that you that you type over and over, those are just saved as templates. And what sequences are is pretty much templates along with automated emails. Um, if somebody doesn't respond back, it doesn't reply back to an email. So let's just say, um, for any question that any prospect could potentially have, I've created a template for that specific question. And I really, I think at this point I have like 200 templates and I could easily train an admin team or somebody else to answer. Uh, most of my emails, but just knowing what template to use to uh, answer those questions, and then also if I ever need a response in an email, I will add a MixMax sequence to that email to make sure that MixMax will fo- automatically follow up if they don't respond back. So I'm showing on the screen right now. It says if email one is not replied to you within one weekday, then go ahead and send them this uh, this email. If that email is not replied back to in two weekdays, then go ahead and send them this email. And if that email is not replied back to in three weekdays, go ahead and send that email. So for every email that I want a response, I always have a rule. I have a sequence attached to it. There's no email that I want a response for that I don't have a sequence. And Moshe, I may have done the same thing for you to get in contact with you. I may have used a sequence. It works, it works really well. As long as it's not too annoying and obnoxious, people don't mind it. There might be some 5% of people who get annoyed by it, but for the most part, people are okay with it. The emails will look genuine. There's nothing, you know, deceiving about it. Um, it ultimately, it really helps the prospect of the client ultimately, right? If, if if they're looking for a service or something, you're helping them get there. Um, so, you know, it's not as spammy as you think. So just use the strategy. There's so many places that we can go, but talking about, about <laughs> niching down, niching
0: down, niching mm-hmm. down, whatever you want to call it. Right. Yeah. Um, you just demonstrated how you had to do that for your business because you had to learn the ins and outs of every single business mm-hmm. that you were working with. I want to ask you like, so it was time consuming. So what was the result of it being time consuming? What did it, what, what effect did it have on you? Oh. And look at your law firm. If you're doing multiple practice areas, how much time are you spending researching understanding that area to get up to speed? So you could serve one client.
6: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So, yeah. so in, in your, in your business, Melissa, what, What, what was the effect of that time consumption being, you know, that you had, when you had to learn each, each business?
10: Oh my gosh. It was extremely stressful. And, uh, you know, I, I have a bit of a perfectionist bone in my body as I think most people probably listen to this podcast do, but I, you know, I wasn't going to walk into lead a street because at the time, the only thing I did was host strategic planning retreats, annual and then quarterly. And so businesses that we're going to invest in that, I have to, I have to understand their business top to bottom. And so getting all the data that I would need. And when you don't know what you don't know, you don't even know what data you need. I know top line stuff that I need, but w- getting into the the weeds, there's some general stuff that every business should look at, but there's some specific stuff around their business model and around their business that you need to look at. So it was just, um, it was really stressful it was really time consuming i knew pretty quickly this was not a sustainable uh model for myself this is not what i was looking for but i wasn't ready to declare something specific yet
0: one word that you said really caught my attention and that was you didn't want to declare your niche i really like that word uh because I struggle with the same thing. Every business owner struggles with the same mm-hmm. thing. And lawyers that are listening to this are like, "Yeah, I don't want to declare myself an estate planning attorney. Mm-hmm. I don't want to declare myself a a, a, a criminal law attorney, right? Mm-hmm. I want to leave my options open. I want to still be able to say yes to other things." And what I want to, what's really important to, to understand is that at any point in time, Melissa can decide to say yes to somebody who asks, that's not a lawyer. Mm-hmm. At any mm-hmm. point in time, if you get somebody who comes through the door, you always have the option to say yes to an opportunity.
10: One hundred. But when
0: you declare that this is my focus, this is my practice area, what you're doing is you're declaring, this is how I'm gonna be able to focus my marketing efforts. Mm-hmm. This is how I'm gonna be able to focus my systems and processes. This is how I'm gonna be able to focus my hiring because everything that falls behind it is now in line with building a firm that's a an estate planning an estate planning firm, yeah. Because I made that declaration.
10: If you can get honest and realistic about planning, so your action planner that is something that works really well for you. But I would imagine that one of the reasons you set yourself up for success there is because you aren't listing or planning your time to do too many, like an unrealistic number of things in the set hours. I love compressing. Like what you talking about with Parkinson's law. I think it's fun to figure out like, what am I capable of in this short amount of time? Like, let's go and sit down, remove distractions and get to work. And you kind of blow your own mind with how quickly you can move through things, but people aren't honest with themselves. About they well they don't they don't plan well enough first of all so they just don't your calendar whether you use a planner whether you use something else should that it should be your boss you follow your calendar period because when you're planning your time you're doing it from a really high level place where you can then decide whether you put it in a planner whether you put it in a calendar it doesn't it doesn't matter where you put it and maybe there's one. Strategy or tactic that's better than another for you. And you may follow, uh, you may learn that. But even if you have the wrong tactic, you follow your freaking plan. <laughs> that is it. And that's the right. discipline piece that I think people, the ones that turn on and are willing to develop themselves in a way that starts to figure out, like, why am I not? Why am I not doing the things I said I was going to do? Is it because my plan was unrealistic? Or is it that I didn't, I'm flaking out. It's kind of a habit, a default that I do. And you you have to get curious and look at yourself because whether you have a paper calendar, whether you use like your action planner sounds amazing, whether you use Monday map, which is something I teach, whether you use full focus forward or whatever, the full focus planner, it doesn't matter what you use. You honor your plan. And then if you didn't really like the method. Change the method, but next week do something digital. If you did something paper, find your groove, but don't not honor your plan. And so it's like, I think I think things I'm interested in what you think. People will distract themselves and stall themselves out by finding the perfect plan or finding the perfect uh groove for themselves. And you can spend years or even let's just say months, which is, that's a, you're costing yourself a lot of money there and a lot of time and a lot of precious uh, resources. You can spend so long trying to find the perfect solution and not really addressing the problem, which is you not showing up for what you said you were going to do. And so this topic is something I'm really passionate about partially because I feel like I'm on the other side of it now. And I wasn't for so long. I was the person who flaked out. I put too much in my plate and I wondered why I felt like crap every Friday heading into the weekend. There has to be a point where you get really honest and there has to be a point where you're like, no, I have an uncompromising relationship to myself. I don't flake out of myself. I do the things I say I'm going to do. And you fly towards the results you want to create. But until then, it doesn't matter what planner you're using. It doesn't matter what calendar you have. It doesn't matter. You, it, that's, that's not the trick. The trick is you and managing your, your mind and mastering yourself and building that trust relationship with yourself, which takes time. It doesn't happen overnight, but building that trust relationship with yourself so that it's as good as done. It goes on your calendar. It's as good as done.
8: Marketing time sales equals your results. If you multiply either of those things by zero, it's a zero you could have the most talented marketer with the best campaign with the most spend and if you can't get the sales part correct you're still going to wind up as a zero um and the flip side if you have somebody that's good enough with sales you can have uh you know your leads coming from a guy that's spinning a sign in front of your office (laughs) it doesn't really matter um but the way that people think about these things is, is really different and like i've got a million reasons why i think that happens from like a mental perspective but in general, it's a lot easier for people to say this marketing campaign didn't work than I need to do better, right? Um, it's right. easier to say the leads didn't work than to pick up the phone and figure out how to get this. The firms that are doing the best, I can tell you this objectively from having worked with a lot of the best in, the, in, the, in, in their respective markets, is that <clears throat> sorry, the firms that are making the most money do not care about lead quality. Lead quality is not part of their vocabulary. They know that if they have somebody's interest, they can get their attention, they can get to make a decision, and they can make them to take action. Um, right. It doesn't matter where they came from. It's just they, they just need to catch their eye. And if somebody has a problem, then they can connect them to a solution, which is them. So that's, that's what I would hope to get for most of the other people. And then I guess that would be the book I'd publish today.
0: Now, uh, when, you're, when you're looking at these you know, successful law firms, the most successful law firms, um, and you made a statement about what they're doing. If you if you think about the law firms that you consider to be in that most successful category, are they do they have sales staff that's doing sales that are not the attorneys, or are they
8: or are their attorneys doing the selling? Yeah, that's a really good question, and I think uh, both cases, it's true. So I always say when people want to uh, like end up scaling up, there's usually two directions they'll go, and this is really true of any business. But an attorney is we'll make it a little bit more specific. So people either really enjoy the social aspect, the you know the marketing, the press and the flesh, that enjoying the consultations, or they really really enjoy the fulfillment side of things. So for the people where it's they they enjoy the consultations, you'll often see the attorney maintain that role Um, in the situation where it's and again, like if you know, when you go to from six to seven and eight figures, it's like you know, you're not shaking hands at a BNI and i you're shaking hands with like, you know, really powerful, you know, referral partnerships and that kind of stuff too. You're maintaining those relationships. Um, but still like, that's something that people want to hang on to. I think people, uh, and it's just, you know, general good piece of, of business advice I've heard over the years. Is like, you know, stay in your, you know, your circle of genius. Right. But um, on the, on the same token, it's like, yeah, we have people that are successful that have um, staff under them. And like, usually it would be, I'm probably not an associate, but like, if you can get somebody who closes without you, um, it's really, really powerful. Because the founder tends to have the highest
0: close rate, because when a law firm starts, there's one person in the, in the office and that's the owner. Um, when they go to hand off that sales process to somebody else, the natural assumption is that it needs to be somebody of my caliber. And automatically, they're making this correlation with, I close sales because I'm an attorney. But the reality is, is you're closing sales because you're the founder, not because you're an attorney. And the mistake that we make is we hire an attorney and we say, here, you're going to be doing consults and you're going to be closing sales. When in reality, they may not be the best person for the job. They, they may not have what it takes to be a salesperson. As a matter of fact, would you want to take somebody who only has legal training and try to push, push them into a sales position? Or would you rather take somebody who has sales training and give them the broad strokes that they need to know for, for the legal services that you sell, knowing that they're not going to give any legal advice in the sales consult because they don't know any, right? Uh, so there, you never have that conflict. And at the same time, you have somebody who already knows how to sell, understands human psychology, knows how to drive the conversation forward to a close, um, and do that. So when we start to look at saying, okay, I'm going to hand this off to somebody. Understand that the reason that you're good at closing is not because you're the attorney, but, but because you're the founder and therefore you can hand off the sales process to somebody who's not an attorney. Have you been enjoying the show? We sure hope so. To make sure you never miss an episode, be sure to hit the subscribe button in your podcast player app. Next week, we will be back with more valuable resources and ideas on how to break the mold and take your law firm to the next level.